Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. A Gentle Thief, written and performed by Amanda Dixon, Episode 6. In Episode 5, we are with Maddie Johnson in Cedar City when she meets Consul Ye, the man who will be her undoing. She's at the Green Show one night at the Shakespearean Festival, and the man appears, and he catches her eye, and the rest, as they say, is history. And now, Episode 6 of a gentle thief. Women lawyers, you're going to be the death of this firm. Rick was in a fouler mood than usual as he strode back up the hall past Sophie's office, cursing to no one in particular. Sophie wondered what she had done to offend him when Natasha appeared at her doorway. Natasha was the only other female lawyer in the firm, so Rick must have been grumbling about one of them. Hey, Natasha said, not wanting to interrupt another lawyer who had to bill 10 hours a day, which meant she had to work 12 to 14. Hey, Sophie replied warmly. What's up? Do you have a minute? Natasha asked sheepishly. Sure, come on in. And with that, Natasha came in and closed the door. Sophie realized that was the first time her door had been closed in the few weeks she'd worked there. What's going on with Rick? Sophie asked conspiratorially. Oh, it's not you. He's mad at me, Natasha admitted. Why? You're handling more cases for him and for Paul than any other associate here. Sophie felt a real pride in being one of only two female lawyers in the firm. And while a little bit of competitive jealousy crept into her mind from time to time, more often she felt a sisterhood with Natasha, one she wasn't sure until now was returned. I'm pregnant, Natasha said blinking quickly to fight back the tears. Rick is upset because I'm pregnant. She said it again for emphasis. He's afraid I won't be able to handle my caseload with another baby on the way. He gave me a hard time when I had my second child two years ago. I remember him saying when I came back to work four weeks later that that one better be the last. Well, wait, wait a second. Sophie was incredulous. Do you mean to tell me that the family man himself, who proudly displays pictures of his six, count them six, children in various matching outfits all over his office, is giving you crap because you're pregnant with number three? He shouldn't even consider leaning on you for at least four more pregnancies. He's only supportive of having children if it doesn't affect billable hours. Natasha managed to defend herself through her tears. I'm so sorry, Sophie paused, unsure of what to say next. Then it came to her. Let me say what he should have said. 
Sophie got up and walked around her desk to sit in the chair next to Natasha. She took Natasha's hands in hers and looked her in the eyes. I am so, so happy for you. This is wonderful news. You are such a good mother. I have only seen you with the boys once, but even in those few minutes, you just amazed me. I've wondered how you juggle everything so beautifully, but somehow you do it. And you will while you're pregnant this time and after this glorious new baby arrives. Natasha was crying quietly now, so obviously grateful for Sophie's words. Sophie continued, and in the meantime, if I can help you with anything to get Rick off your back, give it to me. I know I don't have your experience or expertise, but for what I'm worth, I'm all yours. Sophie leaned over and hugged Natasha, rocking her gently back and forth until they were both startled by a knock at the door. Sitting up straight, Sophie waited for Natasha to give her the okay, then said, Come in. Rick opened the door. Oh, great. This is just great. Now you two are going to be goo-gooing and gaga-ing all day and not getting any work done. Women lawyers. Sophie replied without thinking, Don't be like that. We wouldn't dream of excluding you. You can come goo-goo-ga-ga with us anytime. Natasha had turned white. What's the matter, Rick? Worried your wife wants another one? Sophie had no sense she was pushing her boss too far, although from the look on Natasha's face, she might have been. Rick paused, looking back and forth between the women without smiling, and changed the subject like a chef flips a steak he does not want to be cooking. Brownlee, I've got Ike Johnson on the phone in my office, and I need you to come down and talk to him. Right now. He wants an update on the case, and you better have one. He turned and started back down the hall, giving Sophie just a second to grip Natasha's hands firmly and then start off behind him. Catching Rick at the entrance to his office, Sophie said, What would you like me to say? Tell him what we know, he replied, as if it was the most obvious thing in the world. I've already told him I'll be calling Juan to set up a meeting in the next week or two as soon as this case of mine in Dallas calms down a little. With that, he poised his finger above the phone. Ready? he asked. Sophie nodded. Mr. Johnson, I've got Sophie Brownlee in my office, and I'm going to put you on the speakerphone, all right? Rick pushed the hands-free button and put the receiver back in the cradle. Hello, a warm man's voice reached out into the room. Hello, Mr. Johnson, Sophie said loudly, so her voice carried from across the desk into the speakerphone. Hello, Sophie, Ike Johnson said Sophie's name like Sean's father would, with a roundness that put the emphasis on the O. How are you? I'm just fine, Mr. Johnson. Thank you. Call me Ike, Sophie. And may I call you Sophie? Oh, yes, of course. She smiled. Rick smiled, too, but his was sarcastic. He interrupted. Sophie's been reviewing all the material you sent, Ike, and she thinks you've got a heck of a case. Oh, good. Good. That's what I wanted to hear. First of all, uh, Mr. Johnson, I'm so sorry for your loss. Sophie said, forgetting to call him Ike. Madeline was such a beautiful girl. Yes. Yes, she she was. Sophie continued. I've reviewed the initial autopsy reports, the powder test results, the private investigators' reports, the reports from the second autopsy. At that, Rick raised his eyebrows as if to ask, what second autopsy? Sophie gave Rick a meaningful look, as if to say, the one in the summary I gave you a week ago, and kept going. 
I've studied the interviews with her neighbors, her fellow teachers, her ex-husband, her former boyfriend. That weasel was never her boyfriend. Ike jumped in. I suppose Maddie probably thought of him that way, but I didn't. If he had been important to her, she would have told me more about him. You know, Maddie broke up with him just two days before she was murdered. Yes, I read that in the report. Maddie told her neighbor that they had broken up on December 30th, 1983. And I believe that Consul Ye admitted as much in his interview, Sophie clarified. Don't you believe a thing that comes out of that snake's mouth? I'm telling you, Sophie, he's the one. I just know it in my gut. He took my little girl and he thinks he got away with it. As soon as we get that worthless medical examiner to change his mind on the death certificate, we're going to open this investigation back up, and the police will be looking closely at that murderer. That is, if they're not all in cahoots down there. Rick jumped in. We may be getting a little ahead of ourselves, Mr. Johnson. Sophie wasn't sure how old Ike Johnson was, but he must have been close to 70, although he didn't sound it. Ike, I think we need to focus on first things first. Now that Sophie and I are briefed on all the facts, aware of the compelling arguments, most impressively how the cops in Cedar City completely botched the investigation, on that point, let me just say that from what Sophie's told me, they completely screwed the pooch on this one. I know it's a small town, but they ought to teach cops anywhere in the country that they treat every death like it's a homicide until otherwise established. Well, that's what I would have thought. Ike sounded very glad to have someone on his side. I never understood from the beginning how this whole thing got so fouled up. I knew if anybody had even done their job, you know, the cops, the coroner, the medical examiner, anybody, that I wouldn't be needing to talk to you right now. No offense, Rick. None taken. I think we've got everything we need from you, Ike. I'm in Dallas the rest of the week on another case. As soon as I get back, I'll set up a meeting with Dr. Verdad and Sophie, and I'll go to Salt Lake to talk some sense into him. I sure hope you can. That's all I've ever wanted from the beginning, you know. I've never expected any special treatment or favors or anything like that. I just want justice for my little girl. Ike Johnson's voice quivered just a hint. Of course you do, Mr. Johnson, Sophie chimed in. Rick rolled his eyes. Well, well, thank you. Ike took a deep breath. I'll look forward to hearing from you next week, then. I just can't stand to have this dragged out anymore. I'm really putting all my hopes on you, Rick. And, and you too, Sophie. I need you to know that. I've spent a lot of money trying to set this right, and I'm willing to... Well, Rick cleared his throat, <clears throat> leaned in closer to the phone. We can't promise you anything, Ike. All I want you to promise is that you'll do your best to correct an obvious mistake. I think the truth will take care of itself. I just have to trust that the medical examiner hasn't seen the light yet, and that when he does, he'll do the only thing anyone with half a brain would do, and rule this death a homicide. If anyone can make him see that, I know Rick can, Sophie tried to reassure him. Rick gave her a strange look. That's why I hired you. I have faith in you. Ike let the words hang out there. They resonated in Sophie like a sacred vow. That one is a piece of work. What do you mean? He seems so sweet. Sophie didn't understand. Yeah, but there's something wrong with that guy. Rick leaned his large burgundy leather chair back as far as it would go. I don't know. There's something. What? Sophie pushed. I don't know, Brownlee. I just don't get what keeps a father pushing something like this for 20 years. I mean, it's been 20 years for crying out loud. What is he doing still pushing around this sand pile? 
He's still grieving, I guess, Sophie offered. For 20 years? Rick rebuffed her. It takes as long as it takes, Sophie said, as if she knew what she was talking about, though she had never lost anyone close to her. Yeah, well, maybe, but I've never had that luxury. So, hey, he said, changing the subject. What's up with the second autopsy? It was in the summary, Sophie scolded. I don't have time to read everything you write, Brownlee. Sophie wondered why he asked her to write it then, but she answered him dutifully. After the private investigator found out that the first M.E. had neglected to remove all the bullet fragments from her skull because he didn't want to screw up her face for the funeral, he suggested they exhume the body and remove the remaining fragments. That way, they could weigh them and compare the total weight with the weight of the bullets found in the gun Maddie was holding. Plus, the P.I. thought a second autopsy might just catch something else the first guy had missed, which wasn't such a long shot considering what the first M.E. had admitted to screwing up. What'd they find? Rick grew impatient. Well, they finally got permission to dig her up and redo everything. They got all the fragments out and weighed them. And guess what? Rick looked at her like he was not in the mood for a knock-knock joke. They could never add the newly recovered fragments to the weight of the original larger pieces that were removed because the Emmy's office couldn't find the fragments it took out back during the original autopsy. What the? Rick sounded genuinely surprised. Yeah. Really? So now, no one can ever prove that the bullet that killed Maddie came from her gun or did not come from her gun. That evidence is just gone. So did the second autopsy turn up anything else the first guy missed? No, that was it. Give me the Cliff Notes version of the interviews with the boyfriend and the ex, whoever you think is relevant. Phew, where to start? Start with the boyfriend. Ike likes him for the murder. How come? Probably because he's a jerk. He may be a murderer, too, but he's definitely a jerk. Rick looked at her impatiently, so she got more to the point. Consul Ye, whose real name is Con Karpinski, but he goes by Solye because he thinks it sounds cooler on the radio. He was a loose cannon. He met Maddie at the Shakespearean Festival the summer before she was killed. Found dead, Rick interrupted. Don't assume facts, not in evidence. Right, Maddie got it. So uh, what about this guy? He and Maddie started some kind of relationship that summer. Sophie seemed unsure. Were they having an affair? Rick was blunt. I can't tell. The ex, Robert Abel, blames his divorce on Khan, but there's no evidence that Khan and Maddie were fooling around. There was something intense going on, though, that is for sure. It was only a few weeks after they met that Maddie filed for divorce. From the interviews with Khan and the neighbor, it looks like Maddie and Khan fought and made up a lot, although there is some discrepancy as to who broke up with whom that last time. I guess they even had some scene at his company Christmas party the week before she died. That sounds like an affair, Rick seemed sure of himself. Yeah, except there were rumors around town that Con was seeing another woman at the same time he was with Maddie, and maybe more than one. The rumor was that Maddie wouldn't have sex with him, so he found it elsewhere. Maddie's ex said in one of the interviews that he saw Con at a bar with a flashy-looking blonde the week before. What kind of a relationship did the ex have with Maddie? Rick bit into an apple that had been sitting on his desk. Good while it lasted... There was a big age difference between them, Rick rolled his eyes. But it sounds like he loved her, and from what her neighbor and family says, she loved him too. Right up until she left him. Yeah, Sophie conceded. What else you got? Rick finished off the apple in what seemed like four bites. They were seeing a shrink. Maddie and the ex? Rick asked. No, Maddie and Con, or at least Con alluded to that in his interview. I don't see an interview with any shrink in the file, but I wonder if she could shed some light on all this. She's not going to talk to you. It's a little thing called doctor-patient confidentiality. 
I'm not even sure I have her name anyway. Doesn't matter. She'll never talk to you. She wouldn't even admit to having seen them as patients or clients or whatever they call it. Sophie seemed to be waiting for further direction. Okay, so far we've got a jealous old ex and a carousing boyfriend who may be a murderer. Anything else? There was something weird. Might be nothing. Maddie's mother told the investigator that her daughter never wore jewelry other than earrings, that she didn't like the way necklaces or bracelets felt on her skin, and yet she was found dead with a big old turquoise necklace on. I wonder if Con gave her that. Plus, oh, and this is good, Khan came back into the house after the body was removed and took some of his belongings. He came into a secured crime scene and removed things without a cop present. She had Rick's full attention now. A cop let him in. I'm not sure if he stayed in there with him, but a cop let him in. I guess Khan is buddies with the same officer who cleaned Maddie up so her parents wouldn't see her with all that blood everywhere, as if her eyeball hanging out wasn't enough to upset them. Anyway, so Khan convinced this cop sometime on January 2nd that he should be allowed in to get his stuff before Maddie's parents got to town. And the cop gave him the go-ahead. He goes in, he takes his stuff, and then replaces the police tape on his way out. This just gets better and better, Rick rubbed his face again with both hands. Sophie could see the stress in his eyes. So what did he take? Rick asked. There's nothing in the file about what he took. I'm not sure anybody asked him, Sophie answered, making a note to double-check that. Okay, we've got a jilted lover who's an arrogant son of a gun, who the parents hated, who was seeing a shrink with Maddie, who may have removed incriminating evidence from the crime scene. I'm interested in him so far. What about the ex? He was jilted too, right? It seems Maddie Johnson left a lot of men in her wake. Sophie didn't like his tone, that dismissing tone some men get when they're talking about beautiful women they don't respect. The ex. What about the ex? Rick snapped his fingers. Oh, yeah, Sophie continued. Robert Abel was about 20 years older than Maddie. What did she see in him? You ought to know something about that. (laughs) Rick winked as he asked. She didn't acknowledge the personal reference. He was brilliant, is brilliant, she corrected herself. Maddie was a student in one of his classes at Southern Utah. He teaches Shakespeare. They met Maddie's junior year, fell in love, and married before she graduated. From all accounts, they had a good relationship. He seemed a little pompous in his interview, but that probably goes with the Ph.D. territory. And he seemed to be genuinely saddened by her death, which I can't say for the boyfriend. How upset was he when she left? Rick asked. The ex? Sophie clarified. Rick nodded. Upset. He stalked her for a while, driving past the house, parking outside her school. She taught English at the local elementary school. Or wait, maybe it was the middle school. You've got to know this stuff cold before we go see Juan, Rick sat up in his chair. I will. I'm sorry, I will. Sophie wondered why the grade level of Maddie's students was so important, but didn't challenge him. Maybe it was one of those things where if you don't know one fact, it might be assumed you were foggy on more important details as well. How do you know him anyway? Sophie had been wondering. Know who? Oh, Juan? Went to law school together. Sophie nodded. So how upset was he, the husband? Upset enough to kill her? He got right back to business. No, not upset enough to kill her. I mean, I don't know, maybe. But I don't think so. Robert seems tender and sad about Maddie. In the transcripts of the interviews, he talks about how young she was, how smart, how alive. There was love in him for her. Oh, you can tell that just from reading an investigator's notes, Rick asked sarcastically. You got a lot to learn, Brownlee. Rick stood up and started walking to his secretary's station. Exhaling loudly, he added, 
A lot to learn. When Sophie got home that night, she took off her coat, put her purse on the stool in the kitchen, and took the stack of files into the living room. She couldn't remember a night in the last three years when she wasn't sitting on the couch, yellow highlighter in hand, reading cases. Lucy, I'm home, Sean liked to mimic Desi Arnaz. I'm in here, Sophie called. You're home before me? I don't believe it. But I see you're back at it already. Not really, she said apologetically. I can't seem to get into it tonight. How's the Madeline Johnson thing going? Sophie sighed. It's all I can think about. I have such a hard time concentrating on anything else. How can I care about this water law case when a young girl is dead and her father is in so much pain? What about Maddie's mother? Is she still around? Sean asked. Sophie paused. That's funny. I've not spoken with her. Sophie thought for a moment. You know, I don't know for sure if she's still alive. I spoke with the dad, Ike. We talked with him today. He's determined to make this thing right. At the end of our phone call, he said something that just stopped me cold. Yeah? Sean encouraged. He said, I have faith in you. What's so strange about that? Sean looked dubious. I don't know. It just felt strange. Ominous almost. Huh. Rick feels like there's something wrong with the dad. Like he should have let this thing go years ago. Why hasn't he? I don't know. He still gets a little choked up talking about his daughter. He called her his little girl on the phone. It was sweet. Maybe he feels guilty. About what? Whenever a child dies, the parent always feels responsible. But it wasn't his fault, Sophie defended. I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying parents always blame themselves. I guess so, Sophie conceded. At least the good ones do, right? Right. 